My wife and I were celebrating an anniversary, and our daughter at that time was just about one year old. And so she was small enough, and, and she wasn't moving around a whole lot, so we'd kind of take her with us where we were, where we were going to go. Um, for, and we, she said, Christine said, why don't we go to the Inn at Reading? They have a real nice lunch buffet at that time, and we'd really enjoyed that before, so we thought, let's go there. So we, so we went, and we're enjoying this nice lunch together on our anniversary, and um, we start to smell an odor. You know, and it wasn't smelling too good, and it wasn't the food, you know. And so you can imagine what happened, you know. She had had an accident. And so it would be in our anniversary. I said, I'll take care of it for you, you know. So I said, give me the diaper bag. I'll go in the, the bathroom, and I'll take care of things. So I picked up the diaper bag and took her in the bathroom. And, um, well, you can imagine what happened. This little accident kind of exploded a little bit beyond the, the edges of the thing that's supposed to hold it in there, you know, the diaper, and so now it was kind of leaking out all over the clothes, and they were kind of a mess, and it was kind of a disaster, and, and so, um, so as I kind of prepared to strip her down and figure out what to do, I had kind of taken all the nasty stuff off, and I opened the bag to get all the good stuff, and I went looking for wipes, and I couldn't find any wipes, and and then I went looking for a diaper, and I couldn't find a diaper. And then I went looking for some new clothes, and there were no clean clothes in there. So I don't know why we had the diaper bag. It was just, you know, decoration, I guess, you know. But um, So, you know, I did what any father would do. I got her up next to the sink and washed her off in the sink and wrapped her all up with some paper towels, you know, and, and, and said, went out, and Christine said, can't we stay for dessert? And I said, uh-uh, we're going, let's go. And that ended that real quickly. And, and um there's many other stories about not being prepared for things when, uh, when we need to be prepared that often happen in our lives. But that's just one example of we should have been prepared for that, and yet we were not in that specific situation. And we can look back and laugh on that, you know, but there's things in our culture, there's things that we are aware of that remind us that there's a potential uh, difficult situation and we need to be prepared. And I want us to look at a few of these. When we see this, um, it's going to come up on the screen we know that there's some kind of, and it, the, the colors go up, we know that there's some kind of an elevated alert that we need to pay attention to. And, and whether it's you know, suspicious behavior or bags in the airport, when that alert goes up, we know that we need to pay attention and there's something that we should be doing. When we see this next picture show up, when you see a thunderstorm coming, what should you do? Get out of the water. How about that for starters, you know? Get out of the water. If you're on the golf course and you see a dark cloud, you better get off the golf course, you know? So, you know, you need to go someplace with shelter, someplace that will keep you covered because the storms are coming. When you hear this sound, what should you do? Anybody know? I have no idea. I've been hearing this sound all my life, since I was a little kid. They put the thing on TV, on the radio. I have no idea. If somebody knows what you're supposed to do when you hear that sound, please come tell me afterwards. I'd like to know. Um, how about this next picture? Um, go to the next one. What are you supposed to do? Go find something? No, you're supposed to pick the baby up. You're supposed to hold them. You know, you're supposed to try to comfort them because you don't want the child to cry. How about this next one? What are you supposed to do when you see this? Go buy bread and milk, right? I don't know why you have to buy bread and milk. You've got a house full of food, plenty of food. Keep you alive for three weeks. But you've got to go buy bread and milk, you know. And, and so we kind of know that there's these things that happen in our culture, in our lives. When, when there's an alert, when there's a warning, there should be something we should do. And, you know, this morning as I talked to the group of you, we all kind of are on this continuum of how we respond to preparation for emergencies. Some of you are very, very prepared. That's kind of the way you live life. You know, you always have a little extra. You always have a little bit more. You know, you're kind of a walking medical emergency kit if something happens, you know. 
Um, and then there's the other side of the continuum where you rarely have anything when there's a problem. And your motto in life is, what's the worst thing that could happen, you know? And you're always trying to find the people who are always prepared and have things ready for you when you need them in emergencies. And so I don't know where you are on that continuum of preparation for emergencies. But this morning, we're going to talk about um, being prepared, being prepared. And we're going to look at a story that Jesus told um, to a group of his followers about being prepared. And if you haven't been with us throughout the summer, we've been looking at these stories of Jesus. And the stories of Jesus are designed with a purpose. And I think what the purpose that they are designed to accomplish is when Jesus first began his ministry here on the earth, he preached this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And we spent some time last year looking at that. And then all throughout his ministry, he tells these stories and he weaves in and out of these stories phrases and concepts and truths that are part of that Sermon on the Mount. It's as if he wants us to see in high def, this is what that meant that I was talking about to you back then. And we're like, oh, now I get it. Now I get it. And the amazing thing about these stories is as we're listening to these stories, they nearly always go a direction that we are not expecting They surprise us. And not only do they go a direction we're not expecting, sometimes we find ourselves in the middle of that story. And we find ourselves blindsided by Jesus. This morning, if you're here and uh, someone invited you to church or someone conned you into coming or maybe you haven't been to church and you came back for a while and, and you're exploring things about faith and things about God and what Jesus is all about, I the message this morning is probably going to be a little unsettling to you. But I want to invite you to stay with me all the way through so you see what he's talking about. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, if you would turn to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. If you don't have a Bible, um, if you have a, any device, you can connect to our wireless network here and find it on Version, and you can follow along there. Um, the guys have some Bibles and they're passing those out as well. And um, as they're passing those out and you're looking for the book of Matthew, um, I'm going to read the first couple verses in the story. So Matthew chapter 25 is where we're going to be this morning. It says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. As we talked about the parables, one of the most important things when you're reading a parable is to think about who is listening to this parable. Because sometimes in understanding who the parable is for, it helps make sense out of it. And in this parable, you actually have to go back to the previous chapter, to chapter 24, verse 3 to find out who the parable who was listening to the parable in Matthew chapter 23 24 verse 3 Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives his disciples came to him privately so this is just likely the 12 disciples maybe a few others and they said tell us when will this happen some of the things Jesus didn't talk about and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age you see Jesus had been telling them that I'm going to be leaving but I'm coming back again they're like when Tell us when. We want to know when. When are you coming? And we want to be ready for this. And, and Jesus goes on in verse 36 of that same chapter. He says, But about the day 
or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son. I don't even know, but only the Father. He says, nobody knows when I'm coming back except the Father. Nobody. And then he has these words in verse 42. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know what day the Lord is going to come. And so that's kind of the backdrop for this story that he tells. And as he tells this story, he begins this parable unlike hardly any other parable. Because he says, this story is like the kingdom of heaven. This story is like what happens in heaven where God is in charge and Jesus is ruling as king. This is like what happens there. And he's using it as a comparison for us to understand what that's like. It's as if he peels back the curtain and gives us a glimpse and says, this is what that place is like. And then he goes on to tell a story, and he doesn't really set the foundation, but set it it up until a little later, but he's talking about a wedding. Some of you commented to me that, you know, you've seen some pictures on Facebook of of the wedding that um, Christine and I were involved in um, yesterday. I had the privilege to perform the ceremony for Chauncey and Emily Messner, and a beautiful ceremony, and excited for them as they start this new journey together. And uh, just a gorgeous, gorgeous day. But the way weddings happened back then is slightly different than the way weddings happen now. And so to understand the story, we have to talk a little bit about that. Women were usually married um, between the ages of 12 and 13. That's when they would be married in that culture. Men would be between the ages of 18 to 30. Um, the wedding, the before the wedding was a betrothal period. A betrothal period is usually take place at the bridegroom's home where he would announce his desire to be married and often marriages were arranged in those days. So fathers and mothers would arrange with another father and mother and so you usually did not have a choice about the person that you were going to marry. That's a scary thought for those of you that are getting close to that age. you know. Um, but this betrothal, what would take place is they would be the commitment to marry and then the bride would leave and go back to her parents' home The bridegroom would then stay at his parents' home, and he would often build a home, sometimes attached to the home, sometimes right on the same property. And however long it took for him to build that house, it could be a short period of time if he had some resources and made a good living, it could be up to two or three years. And after that was done, he would would communicate to his bride somehow that it's time for the wedding celebration. He would get a bunch of his cohorts together, we would call it a bridal party, and they would make their way to the bride's home. And they would make their way to the bride's home. There would be a great celebration, uh, a great party that would take place. And then after the party, with the bride and the groom leading, they would form a Congo line behind them and they would wander through the whole town. No, they really didn't do a Congo line. But you guys were like, really believe in me? I was pretty, it's a little scary. But no, they would form a processional. You know, we call it a Congo line. But, you know, they would form a processional and they would make lots of noise because they wanted to announce to the whole town, the whole village, everybody in the village would know because the village in those days were about the size of our whole church. And so everybody would know about this great event that had taken place. And so they would make their way back to the bridegroom's house and that's where they would have a wedding feast. And so that's the backdrop of everything that's happened as we get to the story. What the bridegroom had done is he had selected ten individuals to be there with lanterns lit, ready to welcome them there. That's what their role was. It's very interesting that Jesus chose to identify the people to welcome them there as being ten virgins. Now think about this for a minute. The bridegroom selected ten 
young unmarried women to be there guarding the house for him, you know. Um, usually it was men. But one of the things Jesus did consistently throughout his teaching is to elevate the role of women in a culture that suppressed the role of women. Constantly he did that. Constantly. And so these women, as it goes on to describe in the story, they're described in verse 2 as five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. And the story goes on to explain how do we know the fool, why were they foolish and why were they wise. It goes on to say in verse 3, the foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. You say, well, why would they take a lamp with no oil? Well, likely the lamps were lit with some oil already in them. You say, how do you know that? Look at the next verse. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. They didn't know how long they would have to wait, and the wise one took their lamps with oil in them and took another jar along. It was very common in that day for any woman who traveled at night to have a lamp. Some reasons are obvious, to know where she was going, to be able to light her way. Um, it was also kind of a source of protection because others could see her, but it was also a source of reputation. Because a woman without a light in the dark at night was probably soliciting other men. And so women, for reputation's sake, would always carry a lamp. And so these young women, not only for the celebration of the event, but also their reputation, had lamps. But the five of the women, the five foolish ones, did not bring the extra jar of oil. So it's been a long day. They've been out in the heat all day. The sun starts to set. They've been on their feet. They start to sit down because they've been, they're tired. They start to sit down. There's still nothing happening. They kind of set their lamps down and kind of put their heads down. And they're asleep. And they're asleep. And we don't know how long they're asleep, but at midnight, the cry comes out, He's coming! He's coming! He's coming! They're coming! They're coming! They're coming! kind of like the announcement about the couple that they're finally here yesterday in the ceremony chauncey and emily were so excited about being married they took off down the aisle before i was even able to pronounce them you know pronounce them mr and mrs chauncey messner they just took off oh i guess they're excited about that you know but this is the pronouncement the celebration the announcement that they're coming they're coming so they all kind of wake up and and it says in the next verse it says all the virgins woke up and they trimmed their lamps and and then their lamps likely would have, have a wick, and that wick would have um, um, collected the oil so the, it could continue to burn, and so the wick would have burned down low, and, and the wick likely had gone out and used up all the oil in the bottom. So they would trim off the old, the old um, top part of the wick and then pull it back up and then put some more oil down in the bottom and then relight their lamps. And the foolish one said to the wise one, Give us some oil. Our lamps are going out. And it's at this part in the story where you kind of expect to hear some of the things that Jesus has been saying, don't you? You know, you kind of expect him to hear some things like, you know, love your neighbor. Or when someone asks you to go one mile, you go two miles. Or if someone asks you to give them the coat off your back, you give them your, 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 your shoes or your scarf as well. And you, you kind of expect Jesus to say something like that. And then say to the foolish women that, you know, you should have been prepared, and now the next time you'll know to be prepared when this kind of thing happened. That would seem consistent with what Jesus would, the way Jesus would tell a story. But that's not what they said. Look in verse 9. 
No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Good luck with that. No Walmart's open 24-7 in the land of Israel in the first century, you know. Um, where are they supposed to go buy oil? It's midnight. It's the middle of the night, for goodness sake. But these individuals that were wise, they have enough discernment to not only prepare for that situation, but to know if I give it to you and mine goes down, I won't have enough to continue with the responsibility that I have. And so you're going to have to go find some yourself. And they were sent off to do that. Verse 10, But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. Arrived. It's like missing that moment when the bride walks down the aisle because you were late or you got stuck behind a stupid buggy, you know? On a hill. And a curve. You know? Doesn't ever happen to me. But it says, The virgins who were then ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And look at this next phrase. The door was shut. That has this sense of, wow, wow. I, I just kind of envision in my mind kind of this just massive door that you kind of, to get open, you know. Anybody ever been to Union Barrel Works over in Reamstown? They got that big door in the back. You pull that big door open and that is a massive door. And it comes flying back behind you and boom, it shuts. There's another place in the Bible where a door got shut, where a warning went out. That was the story of Noah. Noah warned people, said, you're running out of time, you're running out of time, you better get on the boat. They're like, ah, i got plenty of time, Noah, you know. No, you need to come now. And then God shut that door. And when God shut that door, there was no second chance. Well, they must have found somebody open all night. Maybe it, was a, maybe it was a turkey hill. I don't know. But they came and found their oil and they came to the door and they said, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. Open the door for us. And again, you kind of expect Jesus to say, all right, well, did you learn your lesson that time? Do you understand that you need to be prepared when things like this happen? And that was foolish actions on your part. This will cost you greatly in the future if you don't learn from this and change your ways and do things differently. Come on in. It's not what he says. It's not what he says. Verse 12, he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. I don't know you. Kind of stunning words. You say, but I don't understand. In the story, obviously, the bridegroom would have known them because he invited them to come and have this important role. And I don't get it. I don't get it. Sometimes that phrase, I don't know you, were words that were spoken when a, um, a disciple was following a certain person and that relationship ended and they were cut off. reminds me of some verses in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus said that were very similar. 
Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said these words. He said, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. But they did all these good things and they're doing it in the name of Jesus. And he says, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. You know, at the wedding I was at yesterday, an individual came up to me and they said, do you know who I am? And I was like, ah, I really don't. You're going to have to help me with this. And they said, well, you know, we're friends of Dave and Alex and we came to your church a few times about four or five years ago. And as they started talking, I was kind of, the faces were kind of coming in for, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember who you were and started to reconnect. And I'd known them a little bit and just reconnected. And other people came up to me and said, I, I know you don't know who I am. And they would tell me how they knew Chauncey and Emily and introduced themselves. We'd talk about something. But Jesus says to these individuals, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. And that word know is a word that's used all throughout the Bible to speak of relationship. Of relationship. And Jesus literally says, I don't have any relationship with you. He closes us with these words. He says, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. Don't know the day or the hour. You know, most of you know we have a little dog. She's a beagle. And, and when we leave our house and we're going somewhere, this is what we usually see at the back door when we leave our house, you know. She's there waiting for us, you know, till we return. You know, hopeful that she could come with us. Unfortunately, her hopes are often crushed, you know. But if you had a hidden camera inside our house, as soon as our car gets down the driveway and around the corner, this is where you find her snoozing on the blanket. She's not ready. She's not waiting. She's not waiting. Um, so maybe you're asking yourself the question, how do I get ready? Because this message from Jesus, it says some really, some things that kind of shake us. It, one of the things it says is that there might be an opportunity when I don't get another chance we all know that about life and death, that when death comes, there's no second chance. But I don't know how often we think about that with Jesus, when death comes, there's no second chance. Another message from this story is that not everyone is going to get in that door. Some people believe that God is a loving God and a, and a benevolent God and, and, and anyone, as long as they're a good person, can come in that door. And that's, Jesus says, no, that door is going to be shut. And some are going to be on the outside trying to get in. He said, I have no relationship with you. This message is also clear that some people will not be ready when Jesus comes back. Some will not be ready. And he said, there's no way for you to know when this is going to happen. Jesus says, I don't even know because the Father's going to say, now. And he's going to be here. 
So the question to ask yourself is, how do I get ready? How do I get ready? Well, as much as I'm glad you're here this morning and I hope you come back next week, coming here every week is not going to get you ready. It's a good thing. Being baptized isn't going to get you ready. Caring for the poor isn't going to get you ready. Those are all good things and important things, and Jesus talks about all of those things. You know, serving others and being in a small group and, and loving others like we talk about here at CCC, all important things, but they're not going to be the things that get you ready. You say, John, how do I get ready? There's a couple parts of that getting ready that are easy and one part that's not. One of the things that's, I think, an easy part of this process is just to admit that, that I make mistakes, that I sin. I don't think that's too hard. I think if we took a poll and said, how many of you in the last 24 hours did, said, thought something you know you shouldn't have? Probably all put our hands in the air. And the next part of that is to, say, is to believe that, that sin is something that separates me from God and God loves us so much that He sent Jesus to this earth. And when He died on the cross, it wasn't just something we celebrated Easter. He died on that cross to take my sin so there's nothing between me and God. So believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Not a hard step to take. I think I can believe that one. But how about the third one? The third step is to invite Jesus into my life to begin a relationship with Him. Invite Jesus into my life. Revelation 3.20, Jesus is speaking about to a church. He's talking about this church that had left Him and wandered away from Him. And He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock of our hearts and our lives. He said, if anyone will open the door, I will come in and I will sit down and have a meal with him and he with me. I don't know about you, but I don't invite strangers to my dinner table. I invite people that I want to have a relationship with or I have a relationship with. And that's what Jesus is offering you today. He's offering you to invite Him in. And He says, if you do, in John 1.12, He says, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right or privilege or authority to become sons and daughters of God. He said, you become part of my family. You become one of my kids. You become my own. You say, well, John, I, I think I've already done that. What should I be doing? Come back next week and we're going to talk about that. But the question I want every person in this room to ask yourself is, are you ready? As I was preparing for this, I was kind of wrestling with it, thinking, God, why, why is this a message for you? These are, these are people coming into church. These are church-going people. But remember who the parable was to? Jesus' disciples. The people that had given up everything, that were following Him. He said, I don't know where each of you are. Maybe He did know because He was God. I'm not sure. But He said, you, every single one of you have to determine, are you ready? Are you ready? Not what have you done, but are you ready? And have you invited Jesus into your life to begin a relationship? Not have you prayed a prayer sometime, but have you invited Jesus in to begin a relationship with you? 
So that's the first question to ask. Are you ready for Jesus' return? If you're not sure you're ready, I want to invite you to begin that relationship with Him today. Say, John, how do I do that? In a moment, I'm going to pray. And that's an opportunity for you not just to go through a ritual, but to express your heart to God about your desire to have a relationship with Jesus. You say, John, I'm not really sure. I've got some questions about this. I'd love to talk to you or, or Tim who is up here or Johnny or maybe someone who came with you. And if you do decide that is a decision you want to make today, we would love to celebrate that with you because the Bible says if you make that, when you make that decision that the angels in heaven are throwing a party in your name. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? As we go to prayer, if you just have this sense that I'm not really ready, I've, I'm just not ready. Maybe church and spiritual things is something you did a long time ago and you're like, boy, if I had to stand before Jesus today, I know I'm not ready. And I just want to invite you to acknowledge that you know that you're a sinner and just in your thoughts tell God that you believe that, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And then invite Him into your life to be your Savior and to be your Lord. God, sometimes it's hard for us to read a story like this that was told nearly 2,000 years ago and to still believe that this is going to happen. God, believe we believe that You are not only our Creator, and the sustainer of life, but you have a plan for all of time. And part of that plan is that one day Jesus is coming back. And um, Lord, I just pray that you would help each person here to examine their hearts and where they're at in their journey. And Lord, if they're not ready, and today's a day for them to say, God, I, I want to be ready. I don't want to be outside that door. I don't want to be left outside. I don't want to be unprepared. And, and I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. I get what He's done for me, and I know I don't deserve it. And I know He's. this is all about grace that we sang about earlier, giving me what I do not deserve, and I can't ever earn it. And God, as they pray and invite You into their lives, may their hearts be filled with a sense of peace and subtleness that only you can bring. Lord, for others with questions that are still searching and, and wondering about this, Lord, I pray that they would continue their search, continue their journey, continue to wrestle with who is this God and what is He offering to me? And to walk away with that question ringing in their hearts and minds, am I ready for Jesus to come? 
God, I thank You for this, this truth from Your Word that invites us to be prepared to one day meet You. In Your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, John.